The Bible reading today is from Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, which is page 1013 in the Pew Bible. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, in order that in the ages to come he might show us the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In this passage of scripture we're going to look at this morning, it's all about... Uh, before and after pictures. That's what the passage is all about. And we've all seen these types of pictures, you know, the before and after shots of people. I was watching this uh, reality show that just ended a few weeks ago, and the name of the show is Alone. Have you seen this show? All right, well, here's, the, here's the gist. Uh, they place these pairs of people on this northern island that is uh, cold and stormy, and you have to survive out there as long as you can with your other pair. And, uh, and the person that survives the longest, that pair wins $500,000. So, little incentive to stay out there and uh, eat some nasty things. Uh, but anyway, the show's finale ended a few weeks ago. And the winner of the whole show was a pair of brothers. And they stayed in the wilderness, living off the land, for 75 days. And the second place winners was a, was a father and son pair. And uh, so they had the finale. I was watching the finale. And at the end of the finale, they interviewed these two pairs that made it so long, 74 days. And then they informed the brothers the next day that, you know, you won. And um, what, one thing they did in the interview is they would show you a before and after shot. Like this is this person, especially the father and son pair, this is... The, the father and son on day one, and it'll show you a picture of them. And then this is the father and son on day 74. And it was quite the contrast because, for example, the father and son pair combined lost about 110 pounds. 74 days. Some of y'all are thinking, I need to go on that show. I might have to try that out. Shoot. 74 days, 110 pounds. But you know, they didn't look so good at the end. But you had the, the, the before and after shot. And uh, it, you know, there was quite the contrast. But you know, the photos really only could show you physically what they looked like. You know, the transformation that took place from where they were and what they became. And uh, you know, the passage we're going to look at this morning uh, is going to show us much more than just what happens physically. But it's actually, Paul's going to show us a before and after shot of this is, a, this is a picture of you before you came to know Christ. And then this is a picture of you after. This is what you look like after you came to know Christ. And so it's a very dramatic picture. And he's using the words to, to paint this picture. Uh, 
to show us what is true of us before Christ and then after. So let's first look at the before picture. And he starts by saying in verse 1 and 2, he says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked. So that's, I know that's real encouraging, but that's the reality. He's saying this is where you were. This is what, this is what the before picture looked like. And, uh, and sin, you know, it's not a word that we throw around a lot now, but sin is basically the idea of living life without God. That, that's what sin is. It's, it's building your life on something other than God. It's, it's doing life without God in the picture. And so Paul is telling us that life without God is, is being dead. And what's interesting is I was thinking about this. I was saying, you know, usually for me and, and others too, we tend to view people on a scale of morality, right? So you have absolute goodness over here, absolute evil over here, and we just kind of put people on a scale between, you know, Mother Teresa and Adolf Hitler. And we kind of put, place them somewhere. And of course, we usually place ourselves more on the Mother Teresa side, right? But that's just the way we are. But we, we tend to view people on this scale, but Paul doesn't view people like that. He, he views people in two categories. He says you're in one of two categories. You're either dead in sin or alive in Christ. And that's the before and after shot that he's trying to unpack here. And so he tells us that uh, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Now, what does that mean? Because think about it. I mean, if you're not a Christian, if you never placed your faith in Christ, I mean, some of you may have never placed your faith in Christ, but hey, you're waking up in the morning. You're getting breakfast. You're getting ready. You're going to work. You can laugh and cry and play and you can believe things are, certain things are right and certain things are wrong. And so what does he mean that you're dead? I mean, you're functioning. Well, he's not talking about literal death like you just kill over right there. He's not saying that. What he's doing is he's using the concept of death figuratively to describe your before picture. And so he's saying that before you decided to follow Jesus, you were living with a deadness to God. There was a deadness to God. And death is the ultimate form of separation. And the Bible teaches that sin is what causes that separation, that death. And so Paul further unpacks this idea of dead to sin in verses 2 through 3. And he tells us there, there were four things true of us in this before shot. First, he says that we were following the course of this world. That's what he says in verse 2. You're following the course of this world. Now, what he's saying here is that you are following a path or lifestyle that is trying to understand life apart from God. So if you take God out of the equation, that's the course of the world. That's the path that you were walking down. And I wonder, can you remember that path? I mean, I can remember that path. I mean, in my own life, I can think back to when I was going through life and, and making decisions every day with no thought of what God wanted. And that was the path I was on. I was living life without consulting God and what He wanted. And that's the path or the course of the world. And Paul describes this as spiritual deadness. And this spiritual deadness is the path that is paved um, by the world apart from Christ. And that was the path that we were all on before Christ. The second thing that was true of us is that not only 
did we follow a certain path, but we were also greatly influenced by a certain person's agenda. And this is what Paul says in verse 2. He says that we were following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Now I know, you know, when you start talking about the devil and spirits, uh, you know, I know some people will check out. But basically what he's talking about here is he is referring to the devil and he's referring to the way the devil does things. And so when you think about the devil's agenda, that simply is life without God. Taking God off the front and moving him to the side. And so what he's simply saying is, before we came to Christ, we were living our lives that way. I mean, that was our agenda. We were just going along, taking God out of the picture. I mean, that's the devil's agenda. And so that's what he says here, that we were following that same type of agenda. And this path leads to death. It leads to separation from God, that before picture Paul is referring to here. The third thing Paul tells us is that we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Now, when he says flesh here, don't think about necessarily your physical skin. He's talking about this this desire to meet legitimate needs. Now, listen. Meet legitimate needs in an illegitimate way. In other words, I'm allowing my desires, my appetites, whatever I want to govern my life and dictate how I go about life and try to get what I want. Instead of seeking the Lord in His direction, I turn to the other God that I have in my own heart, which could be pleasure. If your God is pleasure, then you'll do whatever you want to do to try to get pleasure. If your God is power, then you're going to do whatever you want to do to try to gain power. If your God is how people view you, then you will do whatever you could possibly do to get as many people to like you and to be popular. I mean, it's whatever God that you're serving. And Paul's just simply saying, you know, if you're living like that, you're living life following the desires of your flesh, your, your passions. Uh, you're not keeping them in check and seeking out the Lord and trying to live out the life you were created to live out. And then finally, Paul says that we were all, by nature, children of wrath. So this is who we were. This is before picture now. We were children of wrath. Now, is that a popular concept? <laughs> yeah, I was, before I came to Christ, I was a child of wrath. You know, that's who I was. No, it's not a popular conception, but we understand this idea more than we think. For example, you know, many of you know someone that has struggled with addiction. You know, addiction is a, is a complicated illness that involves choice, it involves uh, substance, it involves um, genetics, it involves emotions, uh, it is very complicated. And so it's very difficult to, to simplify addiction to just one issue, right? But at the same time, it does involve choice. And when someone is addicted, when you love someone who is addicted to something, something harmful, then you hate the harm that is being done to the person, right? I mean, you hate that. You don't hate them, but you hate the harm. You hate what is going on in their lives. And you hate the power of that substance and the power it seems to have over them. And you hate the fact that they just keep going back 
to it. And you hate the fact that of what they're becoming because of their addiction. Because we all know it has a it it changes them. It, it causes them to be something other than they were. And you know, this hate is actually an overflow of love. Right? I mean, the reason you hate it so much is because you love the person so much. And you hate the damage that is being done to the person. And if you could destroy that part of them that wanted to go after that substance, you would. I mean, if you could free them, you would. But you know that they have to make a choice themselves if help is to be received. The Bible tells us that God hates sin. He hates sin because it destroys His creation. You know, sin corrupts and disfigures God's image in mankind. And the Bible tells us that God loves the world. He loves me. He loves you. But we're all addicted to sin. And as long as we cling to sin, then we will remain under the wrath of God. Because the wrath of God flows out of His love for us and His hatred of sin and His commitment to justice and goodness. And so as long as we refuse to turn from sin to God, then God has no choice than to give us what we want. You know that, right? I mean, God will not force you to choose one or the other. He will give you what you want. And just like addiction, as long as the addict refuses help, his loved ones are, fo- his loved ones are forced to allow him to continue down the path of his choosing. And this is who we were before coming to Christ. We were dead, Paul says, in our trespasses and sin. You know, basically we were in a bad place. And the issue was we didn't even know it. And we weren't even realizing how bad off we were. And some of you may still be in that bad place. You know, this before picture that Paul is describing, you know, may be describing you. You may still be in that place. And this is a very discouraging place. Because you think to yourself, how will I ever get out of that place? And Paul's saying, you can't. That's the problem. That's why it's so discouraging and depressing. Is You can't get yourself out of that place. But thankfully, it's not up, it's not up to us. You know, it's not up to ourselves to actually get us out of that place. Look at verses 4 through 7. Paul continues and he says, But God... But God being rich in mercy because of the great love which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So, at the beginning of verse 4 we see a phrase that basically is the basis for our hope. And that is, but God. So yes, we were dead in sin, but God. We were going our own way, but God. We were messing up the gifts God gave us, but God made us alive. He made us alive with Christ. Remember, Paul sees humanity in two categories, dead in sin or alive in Christ. You know, those who are dead in sin and those who are alive in Christ. And, and here he tells us, and notice the motivation. He tells us, because of God's great mercy, 
and His great love for us, God did something that we could not do. And that He overcame our deadness. He overcame our addiction to sin. And this is why God did what He did. He did it out of mercy. He did it out of love. In spite of our lack of love for Him. I mean, this is the motivation. So God is not just a hateful person that's trying to strike down people. He's actually a God of love seeking to save people if they want saving. And so out of mercy and love, He sent Christ for us. And then Paul tells us, well, how are we made alive in Christ? Okay, God sends Christ for us. He makes us alive. But how does He do it? He tells us in verses 8 and 9. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so here he tells us how someone moves from death to life. First he says, okay, God is the author of life. And so He is the giver of life. And so God is the one who had to deal with our sin problem. And He does that by sending Jesus Christ to live, to die on the cross for our sin, and He raised Him from the dead. So He dealt with our sin issue through Christ. And second, what He does then is He offers, He extends this offer of grace, this new life offer of grace to us by grace. Now, here's what grace is. It's not necessarily saying the blessing or being extremely coordinated. Okay, Grace is receiving something good or being offered something good that you cannot earn and that you do not deserve. Okay, So God is extending this offer of new life to you and me by grace. Not because you earned it, not because you deserve it, but because He loves. That's why He does it. Wouldn't it be strange... If on Christmas morning or your birthday, someone that loves you gives you a present, and before you open the present, you say, hold on a second, let me go cut the grass and mop the floor in the kitchen so I can earn this present. Now, we may let them do that, but we don't have to do that. <laughs> Probably fall out, some of us, our kids will say that, whoa, that's my Christmas present. No, but... But the point is, that would be crazy. We'd say, no, 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 no. I've already purchased the gift. <laughs> you don't have to earn it. I'm giving this to you because you love. I love you. All you have to do is receive it. That's grace. It's, the price has been paid. The present has been wrapped. You're extending it to the person. And your role now is to receive it. God is the giver. And He is extending this gift of life to you and to me by grace. And so third, though, we have to receive the gift. Right? We have to receive the gift. And, and Paul says the way you do that is you receive this gift of new life in Christ through faith. Now, faith is not simply believing certain facts are true. Okay, You need to think of it a little bit more, uh, I guess, in, more in depth than that. Or maybe a little more, well, have your definition a little more well-rounded. And I want you to think of it like this. You know, think of when a, a bride says I do to her husband on their wedding day. You know, she's not just standing there saying, yes, I think this man will make a good husband. I mean, she believes that, but it's more than that. When she says I do, she's not just saying, I believe this man will make a good husband. But she's saying, I actually want to become his wife. Not that he's just good husband material. I'm going to actually unite my life with him forever. And so you see this Decision is more than just 
believing certain facts, but it's actually uniting your life to the person. And so when we place our faith in Jesus, we're saying yes to Christ. Yes, we're saying yes to the fact that Jesus is God's Son. That He died on the cross for our sins. That He was raised from the dead. That He's coming back. We believe all those things, but it's more than that. It's uniting your life with Christ. Saying, yes, I believe it, and I want to follow you. I want to connect my life to yours forever. That's faith. It is identifying with Christ. And Paul tells us that faith is the conduit through which this new life in Christ comes through. It's faith. It's not works. It's not anything you can do. It's not human effort. This is why Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now, my papa, he's 89. He used to be a smoker back in the day when, you know, the correlation between smoking and cancer wasn't as well known. And so he would smoke anywhere, you know. Uh, it's funny, I was just talking to Sadie the other day, and she was saying, you know, people would be smoking in the hospital, walking around the floor smoking. You're thinking, what? But they would. They just the, the knowledge wasn't there as much. So anyway, he used to be a smoker. So that was his before picture. He was a smoker. And then he told me, he said, Ron, I just decided one day I'm going to stop smoking. And I did. And I never smoked again. I said, well, okay, great. So before, he was, a, he was a smoker. After, he's a non-smoker. And never smoked again. Well, you think of that, you say, well, well done. You know, great job, Papa. I mean, that's you cheer him on. And he can boast in that, right? I did that. And he did. But Paul's saying something different here. He's saying, but you know, when you move from death to life, you can't boast in that. You can't boast in that move. Because it is not based on your works. You can't earn it. You can't do it on your own. And so there's no room for boasting, he says. It's not a result of works so that no one can boast. And did you know this? Every other religion of the world gives you a ladder with steps for you to climb in order to reach life, nirvana, oneness with the universe, whatever it may be, whatever the goal is. Every other religion gives you a ladder with steps. And you need to climb those steps. But Christianity teaches something completely opposite. You can't climb your way to God. There's nothing you can do to reach Him. There's nothing you can do to earn His love. What we see in Christianity is God came down to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And He did all that was necessary for us to have new life in Him. To be reconciled to Him. To be with Him for eternity. He did that. And now He offers that to you and me. By grace, He extends it to you. He extends it to me. And the question is, will we receive it by faith? And for those who have faith in Christ, that is your after picture. Sounds a lot better than the before picture, doesn't it? <laughs> but the reason it's good news is because there was bad news. Before picture, He says, dead in sin. After picture, 
made alive in Christ. That's how Paul describes humanity. Two categories, dead in sin, alive in Christ. And so I'm just wondering, even this morning, you know, where do you stand in that? Which, which picture you know, describes you? And then, you know, which picture do you want describing you? I mean, do you want to stay here and do life without God? Or do you want to take His offer of free life, this gift, this free gift through Christ, and be made alive in Christ? Which one do you want? You know, if you've never placed your faith in Christ, I want to encourage you to do that today. I mean, if you look in your bulletin, I have a prayer there uh, that you can use to express your desire to know Christ. It's not, the words are not as important as the desire of your heart, but the, these, this prayer is a sample prayer that would express to God your desire to say yes to Christ. And if you've never given your life to Christ, I want to encourage you to do that today and receive God's gift of eternal life. And for those of us who are in Christ, I want you to listen to verse 10. Paul says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know, one of the reformers said it this way. He says, You are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. But saving faith is never alone. In other words, once you become united to Christ, you begin to live for Christ. And we begin to live out this life God has prepared for us. These good works, Paul says in verse 10. And so if you are alive in Christ, then God has a life prepared for you to live out. And so let us live out that life by faith. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this passage. Thank you for how you've used it in my own life to uh, free me from the idea that I have to do certain things to earn your love and your, your acceptance. Lord, thank You that You, hopefully, I pray You'd make it clear even today to everyone here, whether they are a Christian or not, that the way you become a Christian is by faith in Christ, not by the good things you do, but rather because of the good things that Christ did. Lord, I pray You'd help us to realize that and experience the freedom that brings as we seek to live out these good works that You have prepared for us. Lord, we thank You that You are a God of love and mercy, that You are a just and holy God, that You are a God that pursues us. And we are so thankful for the gift of life in Christ. And that is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.